Hi, friends, and welcome to Robcast 108. This episode is called The Sheriff. <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell you a story in this episode about something that happened 20 years ago. It's something that happened to me. It's actually a really short story. And then uh, after I tell you the story, I'm going to talk about failure, fear, love, risk, and perseverance. So that's what we're going to do. Um, and then uh, this week I'm starting an Australia-New Zealand tour. So if you are in Sydney, Melbourne, um, Brisbane, I am coming your way. I'm teaming up with the fine folks at Wake Up Project and doing all-day how-to-be-here uh, events. And uh, you can get info at all that at robbell.com or wakeupproject.com. Then after that, I'm going to New Zealand and I'm doing a How to Be Here event evening edition in Auckland on the 20th. And then the next day, I'm going to do a one-day event in Auckland for uh, communicators. So writers, speakers, people who give messages, talks, blog, writing, whatever it is. Um, I'm going to do a day on communicating. How do you take an idea that's deep in you and actually give it shape and form? How do you memorize a talk? All that kind of thing. So all that is happening. Australia, New Zealand, uh, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, Auckland. Would love to see you there. And then just a couple of days ago, we launched uh, this new audio project called Launching Rockets. And Launching Rockets is a almost three-hour long it's like an audiobook for a book that doesn't exist. And uh, it came out of my observation of how many people had questions about parenting. And I'm the last person who should be giving parenting advice. But I do have some observations. So I kept over the past few years recording my observations. So um, launching rockets, you can get it at my site. It's uh, two, the first two hours are me giving you my 17 observations on being a parent based on questions that I've heard over and over again. And then the third hour is my wife, Kristen, giving her commentary on my 17 observations. And obviously, we saved the best for last. The last hour is better than the first two. Um, so anyway, we just launched it. A number of you have been giving just such great feedback. It's always amazing to be able to create something and um, get this sort of feedback. So uh, Launching Rockets is, uh, you can get it at my site as well. And then um, I'm doing an event this fall for spiritual leaders, pastors, priests. Maybe you're, maybe you're like a manager or a boss and you have this sense that you're caring for, or yoga teacher or whatever, volunteer. You have this sense that you're caring people, you're helping them, you're leading them at some level, uh, you, that you're carrying a weight that can't be named or described on a spreadsheet. Have you ever felt like that? Like these people are looking to you for more than just technical guidance or specific directions. They're looking for you to help guide them at some larger level. Um, so I'm doing an event, uh, Finding Your Groove for Spiritual Leaders. Uh, what do you do when your job is to inspire people? How do you stay inspired? All those sorts of very practical questions and the unique weight that can come with uh, being a spiritual leader. So one of the reasons I love doing these two-day events here in LA is we just get to be together for a couple of days and talk about all the things that matter most. So those are all things going on. And uh, of course, you can get all that info at my site. And then uh, that leads us to my story about something that happened 20 years ago. 
And so here we go. This was probably 1996. Uh, and I was starting out as a pastor, and I was helping this one family. Uh, it was a single mom, and she was trying to get sole custody of her kid, uh, her boy, who I think was like maybe 10 or 11. And uh, she asked me, because of my interactions with her and her son, if I would testify in court on her behalf. And I said, sure. So I put on the suit. I went downtown, went to the courthouse, and uh, it was my turn to give testimony to her being a good mom and what I'd observed about her interactions with her son, that sort of thing. So they brought me up into the witness box. And before uh, the lawyers asked me the kinds of questions they do, the bailiff, whose name was Rusty, incidentally enough, came over dressed like a police officer and uh, put a Bible out. And I had to put my hand on the Bible and swear that I would tell the whole truth and the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and uh, just like on TV. And I remember as he extended the Bible out, I was supposed to put my hand on it. I remember having this thought like, oh, wow, I should really tell the truth here, <laughs> which, which is kind of how we should live all the time. So uh, it struck me later when I left, like that was such a weird feeling to think, oh man, I really you know, I, I really ought to tell the truth here. And that sort of stayed with me. And then I was just starting out as a pastor and just giving sermons. And I was, uh, I would be given like, hey, we want you to preach in three weeks and here's the topic. And right around that time, I was given a chance to preach and to give a sermon. And it was supposed to be on telling the truth. Um, do not lie from the Ten Commandments. And I had this experience of being in the courtroom sort of fresh in my mind. And so... <laughs> Somehow it triggered something, and I was like, I know what I'll do. I'm going to recreate the courtroom for my sermon, and I'm going to do a whole thing on how we should always tell the truth and live your whole life like there's the bailiff holding out a Bible, and you're supposed to put your Bible on, and you're going to swear to tell the whole truth. Live your whole life like that. You shouldn't have to think, I should tell the truth here. It should just come naturally. Something like that. As you can see, I was early in the game, and somehow this seemed like a really smart, interesting thing to do. So I went to the local sheriff, and I asked him if I could borrow his sheriff uniform, <laughs> and, he, and he said yes. <laughs> Tell me how weird that is. Can you do that? Like, sure, you can use my police officer's uniform. That's not a big deal. So... He lent me his sheriff's uniform, and it was that, it was like the shade of, uh, like, sewage brown. You know, I don't know what the Pantone is, um, death taupe. Do you know what I mean? It was like this, no one looks good in that color. You know those colors where you put it on and you look in the mirror and you're like, I'm not feeling well, even if you're feeling fine? Uh, it's the color you wear when you look like you're about to throw up. And it was made of this... Uh, like thick, like sandpaper with threads. You know, it was like, uh, it was like that in the 80s, they made baseball jerseys out of that sand knit, which made you chafe like crazy. It was this material, I immediately put it on and just began to, it just like rubbed and chafed in all the wrong ways. So uh, I put on this sheriff's outfit and it had like a big leather belt and a badge. I mean, I went all out. And I uh, got up there, and I gave this sermon on telling the truth. 
and I am pulling out all the stops. Uh, I'm walk. I'm like swaggering around in my sweaty, chafy sheriff's uniform, and I'm dramatically trying to recreate this experience of being in a courtroom and having to swear that you're going to tell the truth. And we all uh, should tell the truth all the time and all the energy it takes to tell a lie and then back up that lie. I am just giving it everything my 26-year-old self can. And uh, I finished the sermon thinking that, man, I'm on fire. (laughs) Oh man, I just killed it. I crushed it. I am feeling like, look at me in my sheriff's outfit, just doing my work. And now the unique feature of this particular church service was at the end of the sermon, on the back of the program they handed you when you came to the church service, there was a little square of paper with blank lines that was perforated. You can tear it off. And they invited you. It said you could write down any question you had and you would, the people would pass it to the front and then whoever was giving the sermon would take those pieces of paper and spend some time at the end after the sermon responding on the spot to the questions. So people would write their questions, tear them off, pass them down to the middle aisle. There would be ushers who would collect these questions, and then they would come down the aisle, and everybody in the place can see these papers being passed to the middle, the ushers taking them going down the aisle, collecting all of them, getting to the front, making one stack, and then they would hand the stack of questions up to the person speaking. So there was no chance for a sleight of hand. You know what I mean? Like those questions just went right from the people to the stack, to the usher, into the hands of, in this case, moi. And uh, I remember taking that stack. And you couldn't like take a question if you didn't want to answer it and just stick it on the bottom of the pile because everybody would see you. And if you tried something like, well, you know, I can't quite, uh, the penmanship here is quite hard to read. You know, everybody would be like, oh, you're seriously, people would call you out on that. So I remember the questions coming down to the front, them handing me the stack. I'm standing there in my sheriff's uniform and I take the first question and I read it. And the first question is, so why are you dressed like a police officer? (laughs) Oh, I will never, I mean, it's been 20 years and I'll seriously never forget uh, reading that. So why are you dressed like a police officer. And I had this like cold chill run down my spine. Uh, Do you have, um, like when you feel shame or humiliation or anger or frustration, or if you're embarrassed, do you have like a physiological response? Some people, the hair on their neck, some people immediately begin sweating. Some people get shaky. Some people, their mouth goes dry. I just remember my whole body sort of going like it was like a cold chill in the spine, but everything else just went warm and, and numb. Like this is not happening. And uh, I remember this just terrifying, oh my word, I've been up here for how long? A half hour, 40 minutes. And this person, <laughs> this entire time has been wondering, I wonder why apparently I did such a crap job <laughs> of communicating that this person at the end of me for 40 minutes explaining why I'm wearing a sheriff's outfit, this person was like, so why are you wearing a sheriff's outfit? How bad am I at this? How terrible of a job did I do? But that first question 
of this, apparently this person didn't get it. Like apparently I failed. It wasn't that that was the death blow. The crushing, <laughs> the crushing blow was the second question that came right on the heels of that first question. Oh my word, did this person completely miss the point? It was the second question that just pummeled me. And it was, wait, is this question and the person who wrote it, are, are they just a... <laughs> Are they just a lone wolf or are they speaking for like how are they speaking for lots of people? How many people in this room, how many people are wondering, so why is he wearing a police officer's uniform? And that was what just killed me. And I will never forget staying there thinking, uh, I sh should I even be doing this? Apparently, this is the thing I've given my life to, and apparently I'm not very good at this. Why do I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing when I can fail this publicly and, and make this kind of mess of it? And so I stood there in my chafing, death-tope, sand-knit, sheriff's uniform, feeling like the smallest, loneliest person on the face of the planet. So why do I tell you this story? I tell you this story because of all the people I meet who have some idea, some desire, some cause, some mission, some project, something they want to give themselves to, but they aren't doing it. And the reason they aren't doing it is because they're terrified they might fail. Here's the thing. Uh, it's, not, it's not it. It's not that you might fail. Uh, it's that you will fail. That, that's actually how it works. No one has ever made every shot they took. No one has ever got every decision right. Uh, no one has ever nailed it right from the start. So when people are like, yeah, I would love to do that, but I might fail. No, 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 it's, it's way, way worse than that or better, depending on how you see it. Uh, no, it's not that you might fail. It's that you're, you're going to fail. That, that's what we know for sure. Uh, and here's why, this, here's why I tell you this story. Because if you can begin there with the acknowledgement that all sorts of things are going to go wrong, and you're probably going to find yourself sweating in a sheriff's uniform or something equally as humiliating or even more costly, embarrassing, distressing, disastrous. See, if you can start with that, well, now you are free at some level because that which was causing you the most paralysis, you have simply owned on the front end. Now you are free to just throw yourself into it. See, for many the voice of fear is ever-present. Fear is reminding you of all the things you haven't gotten right, all the ways you failed. Fear is making a list of the things you're not, telling you this could really bomb. Fear is that voice saying to you, you know, you, you might really make a fool of yourself. Uh, fear is the one that keeps insisting people might not get it. You might lose a ton of money. This could be a disaster. So when fear speaks to you, here's what you do. You, you talk back to fear you start a conversation with fear. 
And, and here's what has helped me so much. When fear starts talking, when fear starts making all of its lists of why you shouldn't do this, I talk back to fear, and here's what I say to fear. When fear says, you know what, you could really make a mess of this. You might really fail. I smile, and I say to fear, I know. I like lean in, and I smile, and I say, I know. This could really bomb, I know. You could like fall flat on your face, I know. And you do it with like a glint in your eye, with a smile, like a, I know. Because fear is your friend. Liz Gilbert has this great line about how fear helped you get here. Fear helped you get this far. Fear is your friend. Fear has protected you and kept you alive and helped you avoid all kinds of catastrophe. Fear got you this far because fear got us as a species this far. If you think about fear in the larger evolution of humanity, think about early people who had this developing lizard brain, this early first part of your brain to develop. It was incredibly fast at sizing up whether there was an impending threat or not. Is there a lion in the bushes or not? And your early reptilian lizard brain, it had to make this assessment instantly. Because if there's a line in the bush, we're going to have to turn and run really, really fast. And so this early part of your brain, it developed this ability to make lightning quick decisions. And we owe so much to this part of the brain because it kept us alive. It protect us. It, pro it has protected us from so many threats that would uh, have wiped us out. But sometimes that part of the brain, the brain that instantly assesses whether there's a threat or not, whether we should run or not, whether we should hide or not, sometimes it doesn't know when to stop talking. It often doesn't have a good sense of boundaries. It thinks it's being really helpful when it tells you this could not work. People might criticize you. So that's why you have to smile and have to engage with your fear and talk to it and say, I know, I know it could be a disaster. I know it could not work. And here's the reason why, because fear has no idea how to respond to that. See, fear is convinced it's giving you new information. So that project, passion, desire, mission, whatever it is that you're like, I want to try that, I want to try that, and your fear is holding your back and your fear is going, yeah, but people might not like it. You might lose some money. People might criticize you. People might not understand. You, you, you might be shamed and humiliated. You, you might, it thinks it's giving you new information. But when you demonstrate that you already know the risk at hand. <laughs> when you say to fear, I know, I know. And you say it with like a sense of adventure. You say it with a sense of knowing smile. You say it with a sense like you're in on the joke. I know, I know this thing really could go completely bonkers and completely be a ruined mess. I know. When you talk to fear, and you talk to fear kindly and you say, thank you, fear, for getting me this far, but I know fear will often take its proper place. Uh, and the reason why is because the whole thing is a risk. There's always risk. If you offer yourself to another, if you offer yourself to the world, if you commit to giving yourself to the great needs of the world, if you commit to walking your path and doing your work in the world, if you give yourself to your work, if you give your heart, if you give your love, if you give your best, it might be rejected or ridiculed 
or mocked or ignored. When you act in the world, you are stepping into the risk that is built, the risk that is built into the very fabric of the universe. See, if you're going to have a world, it's going to have to be free to actually be a world. And that's going to mean it's going to have to be free to, to do and be all the sorts of things that a world could be and do. And if you're going to have people in this world, actual flesh and blood people, people with power and opinions and minds and hands and creativity, these people, if they're going to be real people and not some sort of virtual simulation, then these people are going to have to be free to act. And they're going to have to be free to do all sorts of things, good and bad. That's the great truth lurking at the heart of the Jesus story is that God has to play by the same rules we do. See, people often talk about love and it sounds rather squishy. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's all emojis and hearts and smiles. But love is dangerous. If it's actually love we're talking about, love has freedom baked into it. If you love someone, in doing so, you run the risk that they won't love you. Love respects the right of the other to say no, to walk away, to reject that love, and to break your heart. There's a lovely cliche about loving life. You know what I mean? I'm just loving life. If you sincerely do this, if you actually love your life and you throw yourself into it, it may break your heart. That's unavoidable. That's part of it. And uh, let me just say something uh, to those of you who have had your hearts broken recently by a person, by a passion, by a project, by life itself. Uh, everything within us in those moments when we're standing there with our heart in a thousand pieces at our feet, uh, everything within us wants to shut down and say, if this is what happens when you play this game, then I'm out. Uh, everything within us wants to go home. And if that's what happens when you leave the house, no way. If that's what happens when you actually love someone, no way. Uh, but it's better to have had your heart broken than to not have lived, than to not have entered into the great risk at the heart of the universe. Because the whole thing is risky. The whole thing. It's not, someone's like, oh man, that, that's really risky. The whole thing is risky. The whole thing. So when people say things like, you know, God is love. Uh, yeah, yeah, and love is risky. And when you say God is love, or love is all you need, or my religion is love, or it's all about love, when you say that, what you are affirming is risk baked into the very fabric of the universe. If it really is love, then there will be a freedom there, a freedom to go one way or the other, a freedom to step in or step out, a freedom to embrace or a freedom to reject that embrace and walk the other direction. It's the risk built into the heart of everything. But if you keep going, something happens. If you stand up there in your sweaty, chafy, sh borrowed sheriff's uniform and you don't give up, but you keep going, uh, 
if all the things that go wrong don't stop you, something starts to happen. The things that would have terrified you and left you in catatonic paralysis on the couch, uh, if all those things that would have deterred you from trying whatever it is, if you actually get up off the couch and if actually you jump and risk and leap, if you actually get in the game, if you actually embrace the fact that the whole thing is risky, it wobbles down to its core, uh, and you keep going, then what happens is the things that would have terrified you when they come around the next time you smile and you laugh because you think, oh yeah, oh yeah, that happened. Oh yeah, that's already happened. That's already happened. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 I used to be terrified of that. And then it happened a bunch and I'm still here. So whatever it is, you can survive it. And you begin to find a certain sort of lightness. You still have to grieve. You still have to work through shame, embarrassment, heartache, alienation, isolation, betrayal. You have to work through all that. You have to grieve it. You have to lament it. But if you keep going, you begin to tap into a joy that is there, that is the engine of the universe. It's risky, but there's a joy there. So uh, I kept going for some reason. Something within me as I stood up there thinking, why am I doing this? Uh, why do I think that I'm supposed to be communicating spiritual truths to the masses when I've been up here for 37 minutes and I, apparently a good chunk of the room is wondering why I'm in a sheriff's uniform, even though I think I just spent 37 minutes explaining why I'm wearing a sheriff's uniform. Something within me uh, didn't stop. Something within me knew that I don't have any other options. Like this, I'm in. I'm in, and apparently, apparently this is all part of it. Apparently this is all part of it. And uh, this is where the joy is. Even the sweaty, chafy joy of bombing publicly and the embarrassment and the shame and the... Apparently this is all part of it. Apparently this is all part of it. That, that, now that's a tattoo. It's a long tattoo, but man, that thing, it's kind of wordy and bulky, but if it just said, apparently... This is all part of it. Uh, or as our beloved friend Richard Rohr would say, everything belongs. So uh, whoever you are and wherever you are, uh, keep going. Keep going. And that thing that you've been thinking about trying, uh, the thing that you haven't yet stepped into because you're like, I don't know. I don't know. I might really make a mess of it. Yep. Yeah, you probably will. You probably will. There's always a chance, of course, that if you keep going, you'll learn all sorts of interesting things, and it may even start to write itself up, and you may even be able to make some progress, and you may even be able to help some people. There's always that chance, too. Uh, there's always the chance that, that it might be incredibly joyful, and it might actually be your path. Um, apparently, this is all part of it. So when you find yourself in that sweaty, chafy, vulnerable <laughs> having your heart broken, humiliated, I am completely failing right now. Welcome. Welcome to the deal. That's how it works. May you, my brothers and sisters, talk to your fear. May you lean in and smile and wink and say to your fear when your fear says, you know what, you might really bomb here. May you say, I know. But what else would we do right now? Why not try it? 
because that's living. May you, my brothers and sisters, embrace the truth that love is risky. May you heal from your heartbreak, and may you pick yourself up and dust yourself off. May you give your heart time to heal. May you fight every impulse within you that says to shut down and check out, but may you throw yourself all the more into it with renewed passion and desire because this is all part of it. And may grace and peace be with you.